Welcome to Amplify, the Revolution Her podcast, dedicated to uplifting, empowering, and amplifying women's voices globally. Our community is a powerful collective of women who are ready to live the lives they always dreamed they would. Together, our strength as inspiring and ambitious women is truly unstoppable. I'm Maria Locker, founder and CEO of Revolution Her. And I'm your co-host, Grace Moores, founding partner of Revolution Her. And today we're talking about realizing your leadership potential with Premier Carolyn Cochran. Carolyn Cochran was re-elected to the 19th Northwest Territories Legislative Assembly, representing the constituency of Range Lake. Ms. Cochran was first elected in 2015, where she was also elected as a member of cabinet and held the positions of Minister Responsible for the Northwest Territories Housing Corporation, Minister of Public Works and Services, Minister Responsible for Addressing Homelessness, and Minister Responsible for the Status of Women. Ms. Cochran is especially proud of her work through successful engagement with residents to restructure the philosophies, policies, and programs of the Northwest Territories Housing Corporation, helping residents to obtain, retain, and maintain their homes. As well, Minister Cochran led the work to begin the implementation of the first 911 service in the Northwest Territories and continues to lead the campaign schools for women to promote and support women being elected to all levels of government. Ms. Cochran is of Métis descent, holds a degree in social work, and has 20 years experience in administration within accredited agencies that support high-risk families. Please help us welcome the incredibly accomplished Premier Carolyn Cochran. Really glad to be here. Really glad that you host these events. Uh, I think it's really exciting to see women supporting women. And uh, so I'm glad that you're part of the campaign to, to see women go forward. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here. We are thrilled to have you on the show today. Um, I'll admit, Grace and I met you at the QFLIP conference, the Queen's Feminist Leaders in Politics conference a few months ago. And we were just blown away after hearing you speak and and just learning more about your journey. We just we are so very thankful that you spent some time um, to join us here today. So thank you. <laughs> So we're going to dive right in, actually, because, like I said, there's, there's, you've had such a journey, and I'm so excited. Grace and I are thrilled that our listeners will get to learn a little bit more about this journey. But I want to start at the beginning because, you know, you've really had this incredible experience that has led you into politics. I'd love if you could share what attracted you to politics and really what that spark was that helped you to realize your leadership potential. Yeah, well, um, I guess my journey into politics started uh, much younger than actually when I, I took it. I just didn't know I was on that journey. Um, I was uh, I come from a hard life, uh, lots of uh, family violence, addictions within my family life. I ended up a street kid at 13 years old. Um, when my second child was born, I decided I need to change my life as a single parent. Uh, things weren't going well, and I didn't want my children to have my life. So I I went back to university and got a degree in social work um, because at the time I was bartending and, and I thought, well, it, I listen to people crying their beer every day. I might as well get paid for doing this. So <laughs> I went into social work and then I naturally gravitated towards uh, homeless people working with low income people because I was comfortable with that population. That's where I was coming from. 
um, and many years of working with homeless women and marginalized women, I realized the government wouldn't give us any money. We, we were living off the $30,000 a year core funding, and, and I was having to make women choose uh, if they could take paychecks and and or not, and uh, feeding homeless women hot dogs every day because that's what we could afford, and that's what was do- donated to us. So I came uh, just, be- I think it was about 2014, um, before I ran for election, and I, I realized that Every time I asked the government for help and just said homelessness, 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 uh, I wasn't getting anywhere. They would listen, but they wouldn't hear. And they would uh, shuffle me out. I'd be all high hopes and, and nothing would materialize from it. So I decided that the, the best way to, um, to actually get uh, the needs of homelessness to the forefront and make it a priority was to run for politics. My partner supported me. Actually, he put the idea in my head. Um, told me, you know, he was tired of hearing me complain about government. And so the election was coming up and and maybe I should consider running. There was a wonderful workshop that was held in the Northwest Territories for women in leadership. I recommend that every jurisdiction should be looking at that. So I took that uh, program and uh, then I began the journey. And when I first ran, I didn't expect to get elected. I didn't have anything going. I, I I looked at people that were running. I looked at people that are candidates. They all seemed to be well-educated. They seemed to be very prestigious in the communities. And I was none of those. But it actually worked in my benefit when I was knocking on doors and people would say, I don't know who you are. I would say, you're right. You don't know who I am. I haven't been to the galas. I've been dishing up soup in homeless shelters. And it worked in my benefit. The amount of women in my riding that supported me halfway through, I, I, I kind of, again, starting, I thought I wasn't going to even get elected. It was not my goal. But halfway through the campaign period, I started to realize that people were really interested in the stories. And so I, I, I realized that there was a potential. Uh, ex-premier lived in my riding, didn't even know who he was. When I went to his door, I, he asked me if, his wife asked me if I knew who he was, and I said, no, but I think I've seen you around um, because she was involved in the social field as well. He became one of my strongest supporters. So I think that what led me into politics um, was low-income families, was homeless people, and what's kept me in politics to this day has been low-income people and homeless people. So I haven't lost my passion, and uh, it actually is the fuel that keeps me going. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Like, it's such an incredible story of everything that you've overcome, the adversity, and it's not easy. And this is obviously something that you've had to work at. Uh, You've obviously had support as well that's helped you on that journey. But can you share what has kept you on track in terms of moving forward and and keeping that momentum going to actually achieve stuff? Absolutely. Politics is tough. I'm not going to deny that. It would be foolish for me to say that. It can be really hard. Uh, Even before I was elected, I had enemies out there. People were saying horrible things about me on media, social media, and and I didn't even know who they were. Some of the stories I was going, that's not me. I don't, I never did that. I don't know who this year. And and then when I was elected, when I did get elected the first time, I took out a powerful business person in the community, somebody well-known. So I had a huge amount of enemies in that. The next uh, election in 2019, when I became premier, I took out another uh, very prominent person in the community, and I had enemies coming all over the place, even to the point because they did have a lot of power, business people have power, to the point that they even had connections in the media. Um, I had always 
foolishly thought that the media was unbiased, but that's not true. There are some media outlets that are wonderful, even here in the territories, but there's also within every field, there's there's uh, good and bad. So at first it, it took a toll on me, really hard toll on me. And I kept thinking, why do people hate me? I'm a social worker. Like, how can people hate people be- when you care about people? Yeah. Um, but that's the reality is people don't like everyone. No one is going to like you in life. So you can either at moments, I would say, uh, you know, I look at myself and say, why don't I just stop? I don't need this. This is hurtful. It's hurtful to me. It's hurtful to my family, my children, my siblings, my mother, all the things that she would read that were horrible. And I, you know, I would say, do I just go back to my safety net of being a social worker and and taking care of people and serving up soup in homeless shelters? Because they don't condemn me. They didn't fight against me. They were quite kind. But I always remember what I came for. And I felt if I would have stepped back and said, okay, I quit. I throw up my arms, you win. I would have gone back. And those women that I care so much about, those families that are struggling, that I say I care about, I would have let them down. So the thing that kept me going through all of the pain and all of the suffering was the passion that I had to help others. So my passion was helping people. Other people have other passions. But, and in every field that you're in, uh, I have to be in politics, but every single field you are in as women, uh, society will put you down. Um, Even if you're in typically role model or areas that women are expected to be in, waitressing, social work, teaching, you'll still have enemies in those fields. But you've got to remember what you're there for. You can't let those fight against you win. Because Mm -hmm. if you do that, you're not only defeating yourself, you're defeating the goal of moving women's rights forward. You're defeating all of us, all of us. So I just remember I'm part of the cause and two causes. One is to help lower income families, people that are suffering, marginalized families, people, but also the uh, the fight that women still have that we're trying to move forward in. So yeah. I couldn't let everybody else down. Yeah. Oh, and I, we're so glad that you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's because if we don't see people in these positions, then we're not planting the seed for women to to think that they can do it too. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was I was listening to something the other day, and they were talking about how if you ask a young girl what a politician looks like, they describe them as a, a white man. And so we, if they've not seen other women in those positions, we're not giving them the opportunity to think, yes, I can make that change and I can make a difference. So um, so thank you for not giving up. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's a mark of a true leader, right? Because anything you strive to do, especially when you go outside of your safety net and really push towards helping others to being a leader in that spotlight, you are opening yourself up to vulnerable opportunities. And so I, I'm glad that you've shared that side because that would be one of my big questions. You know, I when we met and we sat with some incredible women that are senators on the Canadian Senate, you know, one of the questions Grace and I asked them was, but how do you deal with negative <laughs> negative feedback and people that don't like you or don't even know you and say they don't like you. Um, And it's, it's a really, it, that's a big challenge. That's a big hurdle to overcome. Um, I'm not sure. Is there something you might want to share in terms of how that's been something you've overcome with your family in particular? You know, we've talked about 
moving forward, but that's you in the spotlight. It affects everyone around you too. What's that been like for you? Um, It was very hurtful at first, like I had said, when people would attack me. Uh, I had told my family, we have a big family. I'm I'm one of eight children and my own. I only have, uh, we're blended families. So there was four children uh, within my own family. Um, At first, my siblings were very protective and they would uh, get upset and they wanted to lash out as well. And and I knew that I had to protect them. I knew that I had signed up, but they never so I, I asked them and pleaded with them and, and they abided to not uh, reply on social media and not do the Facebook uh, retaliation. It was tough for them. I have to mm-hmm. say that to this day, um, my older sisters will say, because older siblings have a way of feeling that they have to take care of the younger siblings, especially, yeah. in, families that, yeah, especially in families that are, are not functioning very well. That's children end up taking care of children. But um over time, they've come to accept it. It was hard again on my younger children too. I tried to protect them as much as possible. Eight years ago, I, I told them you don't even, they were fortunate to have a different last name than I have. So I told them, don't even mention that I'm your mother. They went through that for years. My older son still um, doesn't tell people, but my younger son became a little bit more of a rebel as he got older. He uh, worked in a nightclub. He's a part of a group called the... Uh, what are they? Uh, Indian, uh, uh, not Indian warriors, but they're basically, it's a, a group I didn't want them to join, but they're uh, a group that's trying to, uh, indigenous group that's trying to reclaim the names of gangs. So they get together and they have a group and they're all part of this group, but they actually go out and they feed homeless people every Saturday, every Sunday. So so it's actually, it's a reclamation of, of the bad things that people think of gangs. But when he became stronger in himself and he started to do this, he stopped and he said to me, mom, I'm not taking it anymore. So he had someone come into the bar one night and he came home and he told me, and he was quite proud of it. I was a little bit scared, but uh, he told me, he said, uh, somebody came in, they sat at the bar and they were talking about you and they were talking about politics. And I went up to them and I put a drink in front of them. And I said, listen, I said, this is a bar. You either don't talk religion, you don't talk politics, and you don't talk about my mother. If you <laughs> get out right now, <laughs> I love it. You know, it was kind of um, it was it was enlightening for me too because what I didn't realize is that I was trying to protect my family by telling them don't tell people who I am, which is actually really shame based. Yeah, it was actually putting more on my children that I didn't realize. When he was able to express himself to people, I could see it was almost like a reawakening in him. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was actually doing more damage by trying to protect him. So yeah. I love that. I love that. And you know what? It's 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 part of that role that comes with it, but it sounds like everyone's navigated it, you know, and yeah. you've had a few years of experience now under your belt. So um, yeah. I want to shift a little bit because, you know, like I said, after we met with you in Ottawa, um, we were just, or sorry, in Kingston, we just, we loved, you know, in particular, you focused on the advancements that you're, you're working towards seeing more women in government. And this had been a part of your keynote that Grace and I really didn't know was something that was happening. So I'd love if you could share with our listeners, the work that is being done, because we definitely need more women like you in our political realm. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I'm really proud of within my term in government and and not only myself alone, many women uh, behind the pages and uh, 
and my colleague uh, at that time, MLA uh, Julie Green, but now a minister, cabinet minister Julie Green. Um, we took it. We were the only two women that were elected in 50, 2015, and uh, all the men. There's, we're small jurisdiction. There's only forty five thousand people, so there's only nineteen members in our legislative assembly. But all of the men, so two out of 19 were women, 17 were men. And the men came to, went to her actually, which was probably smarter them, and uh, told her that they wanted to have one of us be on cabinet. It's free vote, but they decided that only one of us would be on cabinet and that we needed to decide which one would run. So she wow. came into my office and uh, uh, I kind of looked at her and I thought, well, I'm not giving up my one chance. And I knew she wasn't like, I just felt that she was going to try to talk me out of it. And uh, so I said to her, I said, why do, why only one? Why don't we both run? And of course she had to step back and we both put our hands up. They were right. They only wanted one of us. Only one of us got elected to cabinet. I was fortunate that it was myself, but we spent the next four years we uh, we'd both taken part in that campaign school and we spent the next four years going throughout the Northwest Territories doing workshops for women, women in, in leadership, women to get into politics. We talked to everyone we could, every podcast we could, every chance, even now, um, mm-hmm. trying to promote people, women to to. And now I moved on not only women, but marginalized populations, uh, people yeah. of different nationalities, people of different uh, statuses. You know, we need diversity. And I always say that if 50% of the population are women, then in my opinion, 50% of, of politicians need to be women because we think different. We don't think better. We just think different. So within the 2019 uh, election, well, first that, before that even, we had women that took part in campaign schools that were taking mayor spots right across the, the jurisdiction. They were coming up, city councillors, uh, School districts, I mean, school districts always t- tended to let women into that because somehow women should be teachers and social <laughs> workers. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, community governments take over and even indigenous governments. We have some indigenous governments in the Northwest Territories that are very patriarchal. Women are not leaders. The, the women were taking those seats. It was incredible. Wow. In 2019, when we ran, uh, at first it was uh, nine out of 19 members were women. So we were saying gender parity, but then we had a by-election and the, the next person that was elected was a woman. So we have the majority of our legislative assembly, 10 out of 19 are women. Yay. Yes. That's like, that's huge. That's the, you're the only province in Canada, the only territory. It's, in the history. And yeah. do you know what? When I, and I tell people all the time, and we got hardly any media on it, which again tells tells me about yeah. what society thinks yeah. is important. I want to jump on what you had said about uh, you know people thinking that politicians are are white males because you're right in Canada that's true. But uh, one of my colleagues here um, that actually turned into my principal secretary now my right hand person she was sharing a story with me about uh, in Norway. And uh, there are a lot more women that are politicians in Norway. In fact, the defense minister position had been a woman for many, many decades. And a young male, young boy had gone up to uh, somebody and he had said to them, "Um, can men be defense ministers too? Isn't that that wild? That that we have countries that actually, um, that's the gender reversal. That yeah. and and I'm not about taking over. I don't think that's what any of us want. No. It's about equal representation, is all. Yeah. I'm, 
Yes. Well, and it's what you said, right? We have a different perspective on things. I mean, we just saw, oh my gosh, we saw Jacinda Ardern and the way she led through COVID versus, you know, maybe relaying to some of the male counterparts. There's just a different way of leading um, as a woman. And so I think you need all those voices. And I think you're absolutely right. The gender parity is what's going to help get us there for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, I, I love it so much. It excites me so much with what you've done and how you've done it really in only two two assemblies, like in two terms. It's, it's a very short period of time, you know, in most organizations, you know, are striving to, to do that and still driving, striving to do that and have not been able to for decades. And so um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you know, because a lot of the time the excuse we hear is that there aren't enough women candidates for us to pick from or us to vote for or to fill these leaderships. How did you overcome? How did you get them to nominate, put themselves forward in the first place? How did you what do you say to people that that say that use that as an argument? Well, I think that um, as women, we only limit ourselves to how much we allow ourselves to be limited. Um, one of the best things about Minister Green and, and myself doing the campaign is we come from different backgrounds. Minister Green uh, had different experiences, different life experiences. She did everything by the book. So when we did the campaign schools, she told the, the people that were considering everything that was right. She did this and it worked for her. And she like she took her riding by a storm. But I, on the other hand, did the opposite. And so I said, I did everything wrong. Like, you know, you're only supposed to spend like a maximum 15 minutes at door. I would stay at a door for an hour if you were still talking to me. I didn't even get through my round once. I'm supposed to do it three <laughs> times. So that what I was, what we were doing is, is we had two different, very diverse women, different backgrounds, different ways of running our campaigns. But the point that we were getting across to women is it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, where you come from, all of us deserve to be here and we need to support each other. So part of the campaign school was not only about getting women to put their name forward, that was our ultimate goal, but was also trying to get women to support women. And that was dynamic as well. There were a lot of people that after took the course said, um, I'm not ready to run yet, but yeah, tell me who I can sign up to support their campaign. So it's about supporting ourselves. It's about supporting us. And even though, like I said, uh, my background should never have brought me into politics. I I wasn't, uh, I got an education later in life, but I was a high school dropout. I only had grade nine. I came from poverty. I didn't go to the galas. I didn't own a business. I was serving soup to homeless people. So actually hot dogs to homeless people. I shouldn't even say soup. (laughs) But the reality is, is that we all need to be here. Canada is diverse. And we don't only have rich people here. We don't only have well-educated people here. We don't only have uh, non-Indigenous people. We have diversity. And one of the biggest things on Canada that we're proud of is the diversity of Canada. So if you really value diversity, then you have to make sure that our leadership positions, whether it be politics, business, uh, wherever sectors it may be, that actually that women are part of that conversation Mm -hmm. because we do bring that. And like I say, now um, I'm worried that we'll slip back. So we're, we're trying to, we're talking now about how we can get this next election coming, how we can get more women in. Um, but I'm also starting to talk about because 
My goal was to get women here. I didn't even expect 50%. That was like a bonus. But now I look around and I go, there's other people. There's people of color that aren't indigenous that need to be here as well. So I'm also talking to to them, uh, you know, and saying like, you need to be at this table because you're in my community, but you're not at the table. So please put your name forward. Come to the, you're welcome to join my table. Oh, wow. I love that. And so this program that this leadership program, is that something that is available in every province and territory? Or is it something that's just dedicated to to the Northwest Territories? Yeah, I would love to say that it's in every jurisdiction. I don't think it is. It was developed here originally by the status of women, Northwest Territories. Um, Hopefully it would go across Canada. Status of women was a great uh, organization to start it. We carried it forward for the, but they focused only in Yellowknife our capital city. Um, But we knew that we had to get it across. So we worked with them and we took their material. We expanded it um, because it was focused on the legislative assembly. We wanted to open it up to different positions, mayors, uh, indigenous governments, et cetera. So we, we tailored it a bit to our needs and then we went across. So uh, it proved beneficial. It worked in Yellowknife. It worked throughout the Northwest Territories. I'm hoping that every jurisdiction will see this and that whether it be status women councils or governments, I think it belongs to governments. I think they should be doing mm-hmm. uh, campaign schools. And and I don't know if it's only women. I have a bias, of course. I want to yeah. see more women. But I also think that it should be for diversity. Like I said, I'm I'm starting to look at people of color, people in poverty, uh, you know, different yeah. areas. Well, I, I, oh, Grayson, I haven't talked about this, but honestly, <laughs> if this is something that you, you know, anyone who's listening or Premier, if there's something we can do to help get a program out, you know, to our collective community and for anyone who's listening i mean i think the the issue is like you said so many of us look at the wrong that is happening and feel like we're sitting on our hands our hands are tied and all we can do is complain but there is action that can be done and yeah. so I, I i commend you for doing all that you have done thus far and i think you know for anyone listening and for ourselves too you've inspired us to see what more can be done so I, I encourage everyone who's listening, if there is something that is tugging at you, you need your voice to be heard, you want to make change, it can be done. You just have to put yourself in the ring. Absolutely. And and any organization or anyone that wants to uh, to run campaign schools, uh, let us know. I'm, I, we're not... Uh, we're not hogging the the workshops. We will share our information with you. You can build on it, use it as it is or whatever. It's about, uh, again, it's about supporting each other. So anything I can do to support any other jurisdiction to run these campaigns, I think I'm, I'm more than willing. Sign me up. I'm I love it. <laughs> so aside from the campaign school, then what would be your, your words of advice to anyone who's listening to any women or um, marginalized people, groups of people, someone who's looking to get into politics or becoming more of a vocal leader, what would be your top three tips for them? Uh, well, top three, I guess the the first one would be um, you are going to have enemies before you even start. As soon as you put your name forward uh, for a lot of leadership positions, you will have people bad-mouthing you. Ignore that. That is their stuff. That's not your stuff. And I, I do take the I do take to heart people that are really negative and are lashing out all the time. And there's quite a few of them actually in politics. I get emails every day. <laughs> Let's see. 
that is their stuff. People that are unhappy in their own lives tend to be really negative. Um, so you can't change that. They have their own work to do. You cannot let the, their problems become yours because you don't own that. It's mm-hmm. not fair. It's not for you. The second advice I would give is that, um, you know, have confidence in yourself. You, you, don't, you might not know everything, but you don't have to know everything. You have to be open to learning. I didn't even know who the premier was when I knocked on the door. <laughs> so, I mean, anybody, I mean, I'm still to this day, I laugh about it. And it's embarrassing at this point, but it shows I didn't know politics. I didn't know what my job would be. I ran for a cause. So, you know, challenge yourself. Um, you might be lucky enough to get it. And if not, you've still challenged yourself. You've still gone forward. And I guess the third thing is always, um, you always, always, always just take care of yourself. Um, it, it, in any kind of leadership position, whether it be business, politics, anywhere, uh, it's tough. You work hard. You, if you're dedicated, you spend more time working than you spend in your personal life. People say work-life balance. I don't believe it's that easy when you're in leadership positions. Yeah, we agree with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you don't need to have that balance. I only work nine to five when you're when you're in positions because you can't. But you need to find time that you can actually nourish yourself. And it doesn't mean, you know, I remember applying for a job as a social worker and as a single mom, and they said, what do you do for self-care? And I told them the truth because I I said, I know what you want. I'm a social worker. I said, you want to hear that I exercise, that I, you know, I go jogging, that I do meditation, you know, all those things. I said, but I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you I'm a single mom. So the most exercise I get is running up and down the stairs to my kids and saying, get up the stairs. We got to get to school. I said, I don't have time for baths. I got kids running in my room. I'm lucky if I can even jump in the shower. and get. (laughs) So it's about trying to find little places that you can. For me, my I, I've never in my life had time that I can actually just soak in a tub, although I could probably now my kids are growing. But, and it's, but it wasn't even something that meant anything to you. If your self-care, it's not defined, yeah. as people say. It, you don't have to exercise. You don't have to take long baths. You don't have to meditate and read great novels. Whatever works for you. For me, I mean, sometimes it's just... Uh, turning on the TV and blanking out my day's work or, or listening to music and dancing around my, my house, like a fool swinging my arms, mm-hmm. you know, just those moments of self-care. Self-care is not defined by what society says it is. It's defined by you. Whatever makes you feel good, take the time to enjoy those things. Absolutely. I love that. All three of those tips are incredible. And I'm just going to reiterate them. I love the fact that if somebody's got a problem with you and they're angry and hateful towards you, absolutely. It's their problem. Like we have to stop taking things that that personally, I know it's hard, Mm -hmm. but it's, that's so true. Um, All of those great tips. So thank you very much for sharing those. So what is next for you and how can we support you? Well, uh, like I say, uh, what's next for me? The world is is the world is open. Um, I thought that I was defined by who, where I came from. Uh, I found out when I ran for politics that I didn't have to limit myself. Um, I don't know what's going to come. I, I'm 62 years old, but I still consider myself young. I'm I'm a workaholic, so uh, I'm uh, looking forward to one day retiring. But I know that. Uh, 
it, what happens to me is that I, I work day and night here as a politician, as the premier, day and night, weekends, evening calls, middle of the night calls, et cetera. And every once in a while, I get mad at my my staff and say, you're going to kill me. Give me a day off. So they, <laughs> they scramble. <laughs> they scramble and then they try to get me two days. By the end of the second day, though, I'm tired of staying home, cleaning my house, doing my dishes. <laughs> so when you t- <laughs> that's not the field for me. <laughs> that's fair. Well, I mean, and then you just turn to everyone else and say, you're going to kill me. No more dishes. <laughs> Nobody eat. <laughs> Do you guys do anything around here? <laughs> so I think that uh, what it's taught me is that, um, again, society judges and says that when you're 55, 50, 60, whatever, 65, they keep moving it for pensions too. <laughs> I noticed that that's the time to retire. You're no, you're no longer any good to society. That is such a fallacy. Um, you know, my mother's 85 and she still lives on her own and still going strong. You're only limited by, by your, your own limitations. So I'm 62. I figure at least I got another 20 years of work-life minimum. So I don't know what my future will bring, but I know I ain't, I'm not stopping. Well, um, we'll be here cheering you on, that's for sure. And if there's anything we can do to support you, please just reach out. This has been amazing. Yeah. Oh, because and just what you offer because I've learned over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Our emails are always open. No, truly, Premier, yeah. you've done so such incredible work, and we can only aspire to inspire other people yeah. uh, the way you've inspired us. So thank you very much for joining us. And we're not done yet because we no. do have some off-the-script rapid-fire questions for you. Um, so no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm going to go first. I'm going to jump yeah. in if that's all right. Go right in. Okay. So when you're letting down your hair and you're getting rid of all of that stress and you're dancing away to that music, who do you put on? What do you dance to? Well, my music is changing. Uh, when I was younger, I, I lived in Jamaica for a couple of years. So I was big into reggae and, and honestly, I had long dreadlocks. <laughs> God, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And then I moved from that into uh, coming back to Canada and and having children. And then I became a classic rocker. So I've been to like, you name the concert I've gone. My children have gone to so many concerts. (laughs) It's incredible. But now I'm an older woman. And uh, although I still like classic rock, I'm moving into more of a eclectic kind of music. I'm starting to enjoy music from all different countries and uh, just enjoying the beauty for me, music isn't about the, the words or the noise. It's more about what it does to my soul, how it makes me feel internally. And so I've, I've realized that all music um, brings that to me, although I'm still struggling a little bit with the really hardcore country, in honesty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there too. That's my one genre. I can't, because I'm a huge music nerd. I love music, but it's, I'm the same. I can handle little bits. Dolly Parton, I can... Dolly, I mean, she's perfect, but (laughs) um, (laughs) all right, I'm going to go next. So when you do have downtime and you have a quiet moment to yourself, which I'm sure does not happen as often as you would like, but when you do, where does your mind wander to when you're just you in a quiet space? Well, that's a really tough question because in honesty, when I do get a quiet space, I tend to reflect on my day's work or my, the things that I need to get done. Um, but I value those, those point, those minutes as well, because often with my work, I get meetings back to back and sometimes I don't even get time to take a break. Uh, you know, 
I drink a lot of cranberry juice. Women might understand what that's about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all women here. We get it. <laughs> but the reality is, is um, just being able to take the time and reflect on, on the meetings that I've had actually is, is really critical for me because I'll, I'll miss things in meetings. They go so fast. And then having the time to reflect back and say, you know what? I think I misunderstood that. I think I need to reach out and give that person a call because they might not have actually, my understanding might have been different. Mm-hmm. The other thing I tend to do is I, I I love to garden. So I love to put my hands in the earth. So um, that's why I think spring is my favorite time of year um, because I, it's the melting of the snow and the, you know, the lilies and things start to pop up and the earth, people say it stinks. I think it smells wonderful. Yeah. So, I'm with you. I'm a gardener yeah. too. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> So being able to get out in the garden is the only time, and it's because I'm busy still, but it's the only time I actually don't think about work. I think about making sure I don't kill that seed that I just put in. (laughs) Hard work. I am not a green thumb. I always text Grace for some tips because I'm always concerned about that. But I, it's true. Your mind does shut off a little bit. just lets you enjoy it. I love that. Okay, so I have never been to the Northwest Territories. I would love to go. Um, so I would like to know, what is your favorite thing to do locally? Well, you know, a lot of people ask me that. Um, and so it, it, what I say, what I like to do locally, in honesty, because of my profession is just go home and actually spend some time when I'm not around people. Fair. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> That's not promoting tourism in the Northwest Territories. <laughs> do that anywhere what I always say is look at yourself first so if you're a person that likes winter sports skiing etc come up in the winter we have uh, beautiful snow castles we have do ice festivals we have uh, you can cross country ski we don't have the well in some areas of the NWT have mountains but we're more specialized on uh, cross country uh, dog sled rides everyone who comes here needs to go on a dog sled ride nice. um, it's not uh, you know people say oh you can't do that dogs but no these dogs are trained to do this they're actually well treated um, if you're into the northern lights the aurora borealis come in the fall and in or in the spring it's just uh, ending the season now in the summer we get almost 24 7 light so but last week the colors of the sky the whole sky lights up and it's it's purple and pink and blue and green and the the, the lights dance it oh, just wow. it's so magical we got to get a lot of tourists asian tourists coming up just to see those if you're into sports or, or hunting we have some of the biggest freshwater fish in in the world uh, come up you can fly for not only drive people say you can drive for miles and not see nothing you can fly for miles in the <laughs> northwest territories and not see anything uh, i look out my window it's too bad you can't see but i have a lake right outside my window there's not a building there's like trees and hills nice. you know so it depends on who you are but the northwest territories has so much to offer the best thing about the northwest territories is the people. I always say, come into Yellowknife. It's our capital, but it's like a concrete jungle. The majority of people in Yellowknife are actually non-Northerners. Uh, they come from the South, very transient, come for work. Great. We need the populations, but get out of Yellowknife, go into the small communities. When a plane lands in a small community, um, some of those communities are only a hundred people. They will greet you at the plane. They will go to wherever you are. They'll have a big community feast. The whole community will come out. It's so amazing. You don't see that anywhere in the world, but we have that to offer here. It sounds very special there. I, it's always been on my list. And, and I think now it's just 
gone up a couple notches because it really does sounds amazing. So thank you for sharing that. All right. We've got one last question. I'm going to make it a good one. Oh gosh. Now I'm pressuring myself too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you had to pass down any tradition to your kids or your grandkids, what would be the one thing you would want to make sure they remembered was a tradition from you? For my children, the biggest thing that I try to pass down them is to be respectful. Um, it's my, I mean, traditions, people think it's something cultural, but for me, it's, it's about respect. Uh, if you can respect other people, if you, first of all, respect yourself. Um, I try to teach my children because I did come from a hard life and, and I spent my whole life being battered by people and people telling me I wasn't good enough and, and really losing my own confidence. So respect yourself and respect others. Uh, like I had said, when people are lashing out and stuff, it's it's not you. It's it's they have their own pain, and if you don't respect them, then you will be part of the problem. You will lash out to them as well. So respect yourself, respect those around you, respect your elders. They have a lot to offer, mm-hmm. and respect the earth. So for me, respect is the biggest. I don't know if it's tradition, but for me, it is about. Uh, it's a tradition that I think we're losing in society, and uh, I, that's one of the biggest values I try to bring to my children. I love that. Wow. And There's don't so play. many. <laughs> yeah. No, that was perfect. That was perfect. And it's so good. much wisdom has come from you yeah. today. Like it's been, it's been, I just love everything you've had to share. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And are there any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up for today? I think the biggest thing is again, don't give up on yourself. You have a lot to offer. You might depend, you come, all of us come from different lives, different fields, different interests, and that's okay. But what you have is special and it, it's a gift. It's a gift that's given to you and share the gift, share it with others. Don't hide your gift. Don't let people take your gift away, but pass your gift on to others because that's what, uh, that's what we're here to do. Mm, see? Oh my gosh, goosebumps everywhere. Thank you very much, Premier. Um, Like Grace said, really your wisdom that you shared with us today and with our listeners, we we couldn't be more thankful. Um, For everyone listening, if you know another woman who would be inspired by the Premier's um, words and journey, please share this podcast. Please feel free to go to our website, go learn more about the Northwest Territories, go learn more about being in politics or being a leader um, and do the work that needs to go towards it because we need women like you. We need more women like the Premier uh, and we need to support one another. So thank you so much for listening. We can't wait to welcome you again to our next episode. And until then, we hope you have an amazing day and keep lifting each other up. We'll see you again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.